Thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Robert Lude, and this is None of Your Business Podcast, a podcast where we bring you inspiring storytelling from the heart and ask questions that's no one's business. Thank you for joining me today. Now let the show begin. And in today's episode, I got Brandon on, the founder of Mastery Talks, and he teaches you how to be a public speaker and what struggles he has had on the way. And we just talk about lots of stuff, so I'm going to keep this short and I hope you guys enjoy it. Follow him at Mastery Talks on Instagram. Follow me, Robert Lude. Share this with someone. Go rate and review. I love you. All right. Welcome to the None of Your Business podcast, Brandon. Brendan, right? Not Brandon. I'm sorry. No uh, worries, man. Happy to be here. Right on. So, who are you? What do you do? Yeah, for sure. So, my name is Brendan. I'm the founder of Master Talk, which is a YouTube channel I started to help the world master the art of public speaking. So, that's me in a sentence. <laughs> okay. So, how did you get into that? Yeah, for sure. So, when I was in university, I used to do these things called business competitions. So okay. think of it like trying out for a professional sports team, like the NFL or the NBA, but for nerds. Okay. So instead of spending two to three times a week with your coach doing sports drills or doing push-ups or sit-ups, we would do the same thing in presentations. Okay. So basically, so basically I know it's weird, but what would happen is for three hours, we would crack a business problem, make slides find a solution and then present it back to a board of executives oh, or really? judges at the end. It was really wanky. That sounds super interesting. Yeah. So basically so, I presented 500 times in three years. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was insane. That's cool. But like, yeah, just repetition. So what are some things that you learned from that? Yeah, for sure. I would say the biggest one is repetition is excellence. Whether you want to be a professional sports athlete, whether you want to be an amazing podcast, or whether you want to be a YouTuber like me, you always want to do more than what everyone else doesn't want to do. Right? Okay. Like, you know, for example, like my first thousand subscribers on YouTube, there's no magic formula. Like, oh, you need to research this term and message these people. No, I just individually messaged every single person in my friend group and I said, Hey, 1,500 people on Facebook, could you subscribe to my YouTube channel? Right. So it was, it's repetition is excellence. Do what other people aren't willing to do. That's awesome. Yeah. That personal connection. And like, I think when you, when we linked up, like you made it personal, it wasn't just like why I continue to talk to you. It wasn't like some spam message. It was actually a genuine comment. I'm like, Oh, okay. Like, I'm sure you get the spam stuff as well. So it's like, I don't even want to waste my time. No, I don't want to add a cutie XXS to see your naked pics or whatever. <laughs> totally agree. So what are some things that you had to overcome during your public speaking? Yeah, for sure. So the first one is my own fear of it. So when I was five years old, my parents came up to me and said, well, Brendan, since you live all the way up in Canada and Montreal, you have to learn the French language. So French is a mandatory language in our city because if you don't speak it, 
you won't be able to get a job in the city. Okay. So for the first 15 years of my own education, not only was I uncomfortable presenting, but I had to give presentations in a language I didn't even know. So when, oh, wow. So when, I was, when I was in grade two, grade three, grade four, you know, little Brendan would walk up to crowds of little ones and speak in French or try to panic and then sit back down. So that was the first thing I had to overcome was my own fear of public speaking. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So when uh, like somebody who like they're looking into like go to Toastmasters um, or an organization like that, like what is something that you, you want to look for? Right. So what I'd recommend usually for beginners is you want to do two things. One is you want to find an affordable place to practice public speaking. And the main reason is because public speaking is a very difficult skill to hold yourself accountable to. Mm -hmm. So let me give you a quick example. Me and Robert are running a marathon together. So me and you are running a marathon and we have to finish the marathon in six months. So we practice every week, right? So naturally we run a five miler, we run a 10 mile and we keep increasing the number of miles that we run. But you know me, I don't work that hard. I don't want to wake up that morning. But if you're knocking on my door in the morning, you're saying, Brandon, we're going for a run. I'm going for that run because running a marathon is a very tangible, specific goal. Yeah. I can picture me and you finishing the marathon and being successful. But the issue is in public speaking, that goalpost doesn't exist. Mm. What does bringing a good speaker even mean? Yeah. Right? Does it mean saying more silences, pausing more, saying less ums or us? There's actually no answer to the question. Okay. So because of that, you need to put yourself in a space where you're essentially forced to present or in a situation where you enjoy it. That's why I highly recommend places like Toastmasters because it's very inexpensive to hold that accountability for yourself. Yeah. You know, uh, so I just moved, I used to live in the state capital and then I just moved to Missoula a couple of months ago. And like in the fall last year, I started Toastmasters. And the only thing, there's this one group that just worked with my schedule and I went in there and I just judged them. Like it was like a group of like four to five, like 70 year old, most like conservative, like Republican, whatever people there are. And I walk in, I'm like, these are not my people. And I judge and I shouldn't have judged like judging like gets me nowhere, but like their teachings and what I learned from them, like I like they would get up on behind the podium and just speak. I'm like, Oh wow. I, okay. I thought I wouldn't learn anything from these people. And now that the whole world is shutting down, um, it's kind of hard to go to a Toastmasters meeting, but, uh, yeah, it's just, I, you know, I learned a lot and I've only like, I wasn't very persistent at it. Like just, yeah, I have no legitimate excuse why I quit going. So, but uh, I, I definitely learned a lot and eventually I want to get back into it. And I think the way you carry yourself during a speech is so vital because if you're, it's just my experience, like I've given uh, talks before and it's not like, I'm not confident in what I'm saying. I'm nervous. I'm sweating. Like I'm looking at my phone and it, it feels like it's been a half hour, but really it's been 30 seconds. <laughs> And uh, going through these things. So, like, 
what do you like look in a good speaker like what are something that you like hey this is how a public speaker should be in your eyes yeah for sure and and i love that you shared that story because even the best speakers in the world always have a fear right like i was scared and i still am scared depending on what type of audience i speak to mm -hmm. but i would say the number one trait that the best speakers have in the world because if you ask this question to anybody Hey, Robert, who's your favorite speaker? Hey, Brennan, who's your favorite speaker? Everyone is obviously going to give you a completely different answer. Yeah. So that's very subjective. But one thing that is common amongst all of them is that they care so much about their audience to the point that it's obsessive. Whether you're a Gary Vaynerchuk and you run a $200 million company, but you still take the time to speak at events. Yeah. All the way to maybe a child motivational speaker who's super young, who just wants to share a message. Yeah. The best in the world all care about their audience to a point that it's absolutely obsessive. So that's the number one trait. And the way that they show this obsessiveness is by practicing the same keynote over and over and over again until it's perfect. Because the best speakers can do the same, have already presented the same thing hundreds of times. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, nobody just wakes up and is the best at something. Like there are some people who just have that natural talent, but for the ninety nine point nine percent of us, like you have to practice. So, <clears throat> what is like the most favorite talk that you've given, and what did that look like? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I would say that the best talk I probably ever gave was back in my competition days. Okay. So when I was in university, I competed ferociously in the equivalent of the NFL or the NBA, but in case competitions. Think of it like the Business Olympics. That's awesome. So we, okay. yeah. so we would literally go out to you know, the University of Florida for the Heaveners International Case Competition, where literally 19 countries around the world would fly out to Florida just to present a PowerPoint presentation. Really? Yeah, it's insane. And I, I don't even mean the US and Europe. I'm talking Thailand, Singapore, New Zealand, Australia. Like this is some serious stuff. Wow. That's super cool though. Yeah. So those were where I probably gave my best talks because pressure was really high. You had the top students from all of the universities who flew out from different parts of the world and your goal was to beat them, right? Yeah. So that was, that was probably the moments. Right on. So how long have you been doing your YouTube channel for? So I started master talk in January of 2019. So I've been doing it for maybe 14, 18 months now. And okay. I started coaching people four years ago. Okay. Right on. And what are some challenges that you had during like getting that up and going? The biggest one is, the imposter syndrome that comes with every single person who starts a YouTube channel. Okay. So for instance, if you think about me and public speaking in this context, the biggest question, the fear that most people have, whether it's to really do anything in their life is who am I to do this? Like just to give you context, I'm 23 years old and I want to be one of the greatest speaking coaches in the world, but I don't have a PhD in communication. I have coaching experience, but I don't have 10, 15 years of it. And I don't have that much C-level executive experience. You know, other speaking coaches on YouTube have, you know, coached big CEOs and stuff. So who am I to do that? 
and I believe that the the flip, the switch for me, was when I realized the people I wasn't serving by not taking action. So that was the biggest hurdle for me. The way I got over it was by saying, "Look, sure, I might be young, but there's also 15-year-old Julia who wants to master communication. And when she goes online and researches public speaking tips, she sees people that she can't relate to. Yeah." And then she gets convinced that she can never master communication. Whereas if she sees a young guy like me with high quality content, that's pitching his heart out to them. She might be convinced that, Hey, if that dude could do it, I could probably master public speaking too. So it's for that reason that I really started the channel. That's awesome. That's way cool. I like that. So when you're like not making content and you're not speaking or whatever, like what are some of your hobbies? Hobbies. I have some weird ones. So one of my fun fact is I speak three languages, but I can karaoke in eight. You speak three languages, but you can sing in karaoke in eight. You got it. That's one of them. That's... Another one. Another one is I dance alone in my basement an hour a day. Okay. Like what kind of dancing are we talking about? Just random. I'm not good at any of any of this, by the way, I'm not good at dancing or singing, right? It's just something that I like to do. So yeah. for example, I just dance to party music, you know, Ariana Grande, some Taylor Swift from Justin Bieber, but I listen to music in eight different languages. So everything's changing to like Korean. To okay. <laughs> so just a bunch of stuff. That's cool. That's cool. Right on. And like, how did you get into like singing in different languages? Like what did, where did that come from? Yeah, and it's, and it's interesting how, you know, all of these experiences that happen in our life are completely haphazard, but they seem to add up after. And I'll explain why. It's super, it's super weird, but coincidental. So what happened was when I was 12 or 13 years old, I, I watched this show called Death Note. So Death Note is very similar to, I don't know if, you, if your audience is sort of like Pokemon or you okay. know, Yugi, those types of shows. Those shows are actually made in Japan contrary to popular belief. Most people probably think that's American, but it's actually Japanese that's translating to English. So I really got into anime and I really fell in love with Death Note and different shows. But the thing is, is their opening. So in those types of shows, the opening and the ending of the show has a theme song and like an actual band playing. So then I discovered Japanese music and I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then as I progressed, I slowly started getting hooked onto other languages. So then I started listening to Korean music, Chinese music that I started getting into other languages from my own roots. So I, I speak Tamil, then I started listening to Hindi and that's how it kind of escalated. That's cool. That's pretty, uh, yeah. That's, huh. And it's funny, just as a side note, how this translated back into Master Talk surprisingly is I actually have a video on YouTube that's, uh, that's entitled The Three Lessons I Learned from Karaoke That Apply into Presentations. Really? And, yeah, and one of those lessons that I learned was if you can pronounce words in languages that you don't know, it helps a lot with pronouncing words in your own language. So for instance, Korean, like high in Korean is nasio, which I, like, I don't know that language. But because I'm able to pronounce it very well, when I go back to English or French or Tamil, which is the three languages I speak, my pronunciation is a lot better. It's just a random thing that I got out of it. Huh, I didn't know that, so maybe somebody else won't know that. But that's cool. Right on. So, like, what is the personal struggle that you had to overcome, and how did you do it? 
Yeah, for sure. So I'd say my biggest struggle as an individual was probably my alcoholic father and how I had to deal with that growing up. Okay. Because I, I always believed that because I could never protect my sister or my mother from his actions or what he did, you know, whether it was physical or verbal abuse, mostly verbal, I always had a lack of control in my life. You know, even if I want to do something, when you're 10 or 12 years old, you don't really have the ability to do anything. Absolutely. So my life has always been about taking back control, right? Getting old. So whether it was getting the best grades in school, getting the best corporate job out of university, anything to take back control. That was the biggest personal struggle I had to deal with. But once I was able to overcome that and forgive my father and forgive all of the, um, the, the drama that a lot of us have, if not everyone has, yeah. I was really able to see what was possible for me in my life. And that's when, you know, master talk and getting a great corporate job and all those different opportunities opened up for me. Cool. Right on. Right on. That's, I appreciate you sharing that with me. You know, like I, my personal struggle is I'm a recovering drug addict and alcoholic and I have alcohol, like my dad's an alcoholic, so I can kind of relate with you on that one. Um, and, you know, why I went to drugs and booze is because I couldn't control my own life. I, I can control the way I feel if I'm just, you know, self-medicating myself, being my own doctor. And then that, that just went a downward spiral where in 2018, I was homeless, um, living in Las Vegas. I overdosed on heroin and meth and ended up in the ICU, like... So one reason why I started this podcast was like, we all go through struggles. It doesn't matter what our background is. It doesn't matter what our race is. It doesn't matter what our gender is. It doesn't matter what our sexual orientation is. We all go through struggles, but we can overcome them. And you overcame your struggles and look at you, look at what you're doing. And I think especially having like, you know, having a young person on and sharing their experience and how they overcame it can be somebody's pathway to success. You know, if I can't, like you were saying earlier, if you can't relate to me, like, how the fuck am I going to help you? So thank you for sharing that. You know, a lot of people don't like to open up. A lot of people don't like to be vulnerable. They say that they are, but when it comes down to it, they, you know, and being vulnerable is hard, but like, I think a lot of people need to come to the understanding. Vulnerability is my superpower. So. So how did that shift for you then? How did you go from. I see you too. I need to be more vulnerable. I need to open up. I need to start a podcast. I need to not be homeless. What was that shift for you? So, uh, back when I was 19, I was, uh, from 19 to like 22 ish. I was sober for like three years. And, uh, then I had surgeries and I got back addicted to pills and stuff. And then, Met a girl, went down to Vegas, ended up getting evicted, blah, blah, blah. So, like, I had years of recovery behind me. And when I woke up in the ICU, I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, what like, what the fuck am I doing? I've been in another hospital, like, nine times this year um, because I thought I was dying. And then this time, I literally almost died. And I woke up, my parents and my sister, they're all just crying. And I'm like, I don't really care. But, like after that moment, I was sitting in the ICU and I was like, I, you know, I, I need to do something. And when I was 19, uh, my mentor at the time, he got me into podcast, not got me into podcasting, but he got me into listening to podcasts. And I was like, 
you know, the first person that I listened to, I think was Gary Vaynerchuk. And I'm like, you know what, this would, this would be cool if I could do this one day. And I was just full of fear, full of fear, full of fear, full of fear. And then finally, I, when I first started my podcast, I was like, what is something that really resonated with me? And it was Brene Brown's, uh, the power of vulnerability or something, her speech, her Ted talk speech. So using that and, you know, getting into people's body language and what really resonates with them, um, you know, is really how, you know, people like Brene Brown, people like Mel Robbins, people like Lewis Howes, like Lewis Howes, um, I'd be, when I could get a Wi-Fi connection from McDonald's in Vegas, I would listen to his podcast and how vulnerable he is with his guests and how their guests are vulnerable like that. You know, those are like the main key factors on how it got and how I wanted to model uh, the same kind of podcast that Lewis House was doing. And, you know, just diving deeper in that and getting deeper and, you know, reading the, I think it's the seven levels of communication by Michael J. Mayer um, and how he is able to dive deeper into relation into the conversation and what that did for people and what it did for me. Like, yeah, you know, I, why I want to start the podcast was, you know, to share my message and help other people and inspire people. And if I'm going to be the best entrepreneur that I can be, then why not learn from them? And yeah, I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's kind of the thought process of this whole journey. No, it does make sense. It's interesting how we have completely different lives, yet we listen to the same podcast <laughs> and we kind of end up, both ended up in the same place. It's interesting. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, how far are you from Toronto? I'm around a six hour drive. Okay. Right on. Um, just in the beginning of this, when we started recording, how you're presenting yourself and how just you remind me a lot of the interview that I did with Evan Carmichael. And you guys just happen to be both in Canada, so. <laughs> yeah, I have to find a way to meet Evan at some point. Just DM him on Instagram. Yeah. That's how I, like, I just bugged him a bunch of times on Instagram, and then he finally agreed to be on my podcast, so. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um. Anyways, like, when you're not dancing, like, and I know like the world is shutting down, but if you could have like the perfect day, what would that look like? Yeah. The classic Lewis house question for me, it's <laughs> the perfect day for me is actually, I actually did this exercise internally a long time ago. For me, the perfect day looks like, looks like having the family I always wanted, you know, kids, you know, amazing wife, you know, that I love donating to the cause that I care about and knew that at the end of the day or at the end of that day, that the decisions I made in my life allowed me to attain that day. So for instance, I have very controversial beliefs about life. Like for example, I believe one of the best ways to make an impact on the world is just to make a lot of money because the big difference between us and the same people that are having this exact same conversation in a third world country, the only difference between us is that we have access to capital. They don't. Mm -hmm. I can go out and get a six figure job, save a lot of that money, invest in the market, become a millionaire. 
people in a third world country cannot do that. They have to take more risk. They have to start their own business. They have to be forced into it. Whereas I don't, or we don't. Mm -hmm. So because of that, my, one of my goals in life is to be the number one donor for this charity called charity water. So my perfect day is basically me writing that 30, $40 million check for them. So I can take that number one spot. So that's basically what my day looks like in a, in an overall sense. Okay. And what is that charity? What, like, yeah, what do they sure. do? yeah, for sure. And that's something you'd be interested in because Scott has been on Lewis's show, but basically what they do is they're, they're trying to solve one of the world's, I believe the world's easiest problems. It's the fact that the 10% of the world's population doesn't have access to clean drinking water. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the thing that's interesting about the issue is that it's a structural problem. Okay. It's not like cancer where you need to invest in research. It's, you buy infrastructure, you put the infrastructure in, and you just maintain the infrastructure. But since most people aren't really affected by that problem, like in the U.S. and Canada, no one has that issue. Well, unless you're in Flint, Michigan. Yeah, unless you're in Flint, <laughs> Michigan, yeah. So, so that, it's actually because of situations like Flint that the world water crisis is more prevalently known. Like, literally 20 years ago, no one knew this was even a thing mm-hmm. internationally. So because of that, he's created this infrastructure and he's done an excellent job with the charity in managing it. Like he has this model called the hundred percent model where all of the money goes directly to the programs and he gets a bunch of rich people to fund all the overhead since people don't trust charities. So he says, okay, I'll guarantee all your money goes to the programs and I'll get a bunch of rich people. So Gary V is a part of that program, you know, people of that sort. Okay. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode with Brandon and real quick, I just want to talk about our sponsor east coast tags if you don't know what they are well, they're just an apparel company they have sense of humors they got a style for anyone and anywhere so right you know i am wearing a hoodie right now that says quarantine and chill you can get a custom name or something on the back um, and my listeners right now are going to get a 10 percent off if you use the promo code, none of your business, guys. So if you want some amazing dope swag, I highly recommend that you go to www.eastcoasttags.com. Use the promo code, none of your business, all one word. Details will be in the show notes. And I love you guys. I hope you guys enjoy. So, yeah, so I, I just really respect the guy and what he's doing. And I think the way I'm going to make an impact in the world is by A, becoming one of the greatest public speaking coaches that ever lived B, coaching the people who have really important messages like the CEO of that charity and C, donating a lot of the lottery winnings that I win. Well, not lottery as in the actual lottery, but by building a business and using the proceeds from that business to a selfishly provide for my own life and B, donate to the cause that I care about the most. That's super cool. I like that. That's way cool, man. I hope one day you get there and if you keep doing what you're doing, like what's stopping you from doing that? Maybe the pandemic going on right now, but that will pass. So um, I don't want to talk about the pandemic going on, but I am curious because there's a lot of fake news out there. Did you guys ever go short on toilet paper? <laughs> No, actually, we're we're doing just fine here up in Canada, honestly. Yeah, yeah, I that's what I heard, but I was just curious. So, uh, what is something like the most memorable moment from your childhood? Hmm. 
the most memorable moment from my childhood. There's a lot of things that are coming to mind here. How far do you want me to go? Are you thinking five, ten years old, ten, fifteen, or it's really whatever works? Whatever. Like what comes to mind? It, it was probably the the moments that I spent with my my cousin. So when I was seven or eight years old, I used to do a lot of sleepovers in Toronto with my little cousins, and we were so poor back then that we couldn't even have our own separate beds. So we were like seven or eight, and we were like five people on a single bed, but we all slept vertically instead of like horizontally on the bed. Yeah, and it was just so that's something that comes to mind. I just really loved my cousins and I and I think that not not to make the whole spiel on family but I think it's really important for for people to invest in the 3 to 5 relationships that matter the most. Absolutely. Cuz you're always going to hit zero at some point in your life. You did it early in your life. I'll probably do it later in my life. And when that zero happens, if you don't have anyone that's going to bring you back up, you'll lose. And that's why I think that's why a lot of extra ultra successful people end up committing suicide or doing bad things with their life because they don't have those nurturing relationships. So when they go all the way up to the mountain and they fall right back down, no one's there to catch them. <clears throat> Absolutely. I think Will Smith, it was one of his speeches um, or videos or something. He said, uh, look in your phone and see who the last five people you texted. Are they bringing you up or bringing you down? And like that resonated with me so much. I, I love it. And you know, I, when I think I'm in a spot of lack and I, nobody loves me, nobody likes me, my podcast downloads go down or whatever, self absorbed, whatever you want to call it. I, I look at my phone like, Oh wait, no, like these are the people that matter. They're checking out on me, especially what's going on right now. It's like, who's checking in on you? What do they, do they actually care about you? Like, we might be social distancing, but like we can have a face-to-face conversation like we are now. And, you know, I really like what you said, like the three to five people in, in your life, like it's not going to be that 10th person, like who cares, like whatever that 10th person in your life is important to you. Okay. Then move them up the scale. But like having these fair weather friends and like back in high school, you know, being popular, being the cool kid. Like I don't talk to anybody from my fucking high school. Like <laughs> love I, it. I barely talked to anyone from my hometown. Like it's just those relationships aren't important to me. And it's you know, now that I'm older and I realize that like, you know, I, I'm twenty six years old, so like I, I understand like the value in that. So um you know, you said that we listen to a lot of the same podcasts. Like, what are some of your favorite books? Yeah, so usually when people ask me this question, I usually just recommend one book because no one will go out and buy three or four. So for me, the book that, that changed my life was Thirst by Scott Harrison. So it was the CEO of that charity I was talking about. And the reason is for two reasons. The first one is because his story is just very interesting in the sense that he used to be a nightclub promoter, you know, selling bottles of champagne for $500 that he would buy for $5 having the velvet rope. His girlfriend was on the cover of Vogue magazine. You know, he had a BMW, you know, Rolex watch, whatever. And then he completely shifted his life and did a 180. started a charity and became the CEO of that charity. And now that's what he does with this life. So it's just an interesting story of redemption, how you can go to drugs, 
women, literally all the vices that everyone is chasing after, right? The golden standard to giving up that so quote unquote golden standard to live the life he was actually meant to live, which was to serve humanity. That's the first part. The second part that is more important for your audience though, besides the fact that I think he's the best storyteller in the world. Now he's built the ethos of the brand. It's more about hope because I think the issue in society right now is a lot of people want to make an impact on the world, but they have no idea how. I, I wanted to change climate. I want to like impact climate change. I want to do this. I want to do that. But every time I feel I donate 10 bucks, where does this go? What happens? Mm-hmm. And the truth is a lot of these problems are extremely complex. Climate change, oil companies don't want that to happen, right? They don't want you to fix it. Human trafficking, the mafia doesn't want you to do that. Look, there's so many barriers. And what I love about Scott is he presented a case where if you just take that simple action based on his story, you're able to make a huge difference in the world. Because his story is not just raw, raw. In 10 to 13 years, he's already solved almost 2% of the entire problem, which is crazy to think about. Wow. So that's why I'm very obsessed. And that's, and the point of this isn't to promote charity or anything like that. It's more about that book will give you an insight on not just I can solve problems, but also how to do it for the, the causes and things that I personally care about. So if, for, for you, it might be helping recovering drug addicts. Scott will show you the blueprint, right? Whether it's climate change, Scott will show you the blueprint. There's something that you can learn from that book that will apply to whatever you want to do in life. That's why there's no better book that I, and Brene Brown is also on the back cover of the book as well. Oh, cool. Right on. And did you find Scott? Like, did you read the book and then you got into the charity or did you see the charity and saw that he uh, had a book? Like what's the relationship between that? Yeah, for sure. So just to give your audience some light here and some value. So what I did with my life, and this is one of the three truths that I believe in, is if you don't have a vision for the world, steal someone else's and make it your own until you have your own. Love it. Okay. So if you don't have a vision for the world, which is the case for 95% of humanity, if not 99, Mm -hmm. steal someone else's until you find your own. So when I was young, which I still am, but you know, four years ago when I started listening to podcasts, I wasn't super ambitious with my life. The only thing I wanted to do is get out of poverty and give my sister and mother the opportunities that they never had in life. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was through money. Get a government job at the Bank of Canada, which is the U.S. Federal Reserve's equivalent. You know, make a steady paycheck, figure the rest out. And I didn't really want anything else. But when I started listening to all of these amazing people, whether they were going on Lewis's show or any other podcast, I started to create what I called the list. So the list is a group of people that I rank that I personally admire, that I modeled my life against. Mm, right? okay. So to give you an example, and then what I do after is I ask myself, why are they number one or number three or number 30 on the list? And that helps me cultivate from people who have already lived their lives since time is the most valuable asset. And then I ask myself, what can I take from each of these people and create my own life? So Scott's number one on the list and Lewis is number three on the list to give you some concrete numbers here. And the lessons that I took away from all of those people applied into what I was doing. So the way I found Scott was simply, I was watching, because I just to give you an idea for your listeners of how crazy I am, I listen two hours of podcasts a day. 
So I probably listened to thousands, and I'm probably the only person who has listened to all of Lewis's episodes from episode one. Like like all 700, I've listened to all of them. Right? Wow. So what I do basically is I add all of these people. I'm like the best copycat of the world. I add all of these wow. people to my list, and out of the thousands of people, I then say I like this person. I like this person. I like what he's doing or what she's doing, and then I model. So Scott was on Lewis's show. That's how I discovered him. Okay. So once I listened to him, I was like, oh, this is a really interesting story. Oh, he's actually solving the problem. This is not some BS chair. This is actually, so I dive more and I started listening to all of the interviews and then he topped the list. And then I joined, I was on his book launch team for his book. And then cool. after that, yeah. Cool. That's what happened, yeah. Cool, cool. That's awesome. That's, that's super cool. Just listening to a podcast episode and kind of change your life. So yeah. And the flip for your audience is it doesn't really matter if it's Scott or anyone else. Find the people that you personally admire. It could be your mom. It could be yeah. a chef. It could be someone that used to be homeless that turned their life around. And then, but the second part of the question is very important. Ask yourself why you admire those people. Because at the beginning, especially if you're young, you might pick a bunch of rich people. You might say Mark Cuban, Kevin O'Leary, you know, I don't know, Warren Buffett. But then you'll realize that Hey, I only have ten. I can only have ten people on this list, and there's a bunch of billionaires. There's a bunch of billionaires, mm-hmm. so there has to be more criteria than just the money they're making. Yeah, and that's when you start building the list and what your actual value system is. That's awesome. I like that. <clears throat> right on. So, what is the biggest struggle that you had to go through for your YouTube channel? The biggest struggle was definitely the whole fear that I had at the beginning of who am I to do this. Mm-hmm. I would say besides that, the biggest struggle I have now is just growing the reach and staying consistent. Nine out of 10 out of, for people who do YouTube channels give up because it's the hardest platform in, so, in the social media platforms to, be, to win in. And the reason is because you have to create a video consistently every week. And if you miss one, you lose a huge fraction of your audience in the same way Lewis has never missed a week for seven years. You just have to keep rolling out the podcast or else you just lose your audience because they'll just go somewhere else because the market is the market. So in that same way, consistency has been a challenge at the beginning, but I would say the biggest one is being consistent despite being a small. Okay. Then the success you're going to have in five years, since you don't have it today, patience is very key. So it's very difficult for most people, I would say, to stay motivated despite that. Yeah. You know, you spend, like, I spend a lot of my personal capital on editing the videos and, you know, getting them out. And I probably get 50 views, 70 views, 100 views on a video. And in some, sometimes that could be demoralizing, but you have to think about the bigger picture. Mm. So that's something I struggle with, just growing the channel. Yeah. And I do that a lot, just, you know, through podcasts and events that I speak at and stuff like that. That's cool. That's cool. So what was like, have you gotten like a, <clears throat> a message from one of your viewers and what did that do for you? I love this question. And I think that's one of the ways that you alluded to very well on what keeps you going. I actually get those messages almost every week. One of them that I can point out was there was this teacher I sent my videos to and I just asked her for feedback. Hey, if any of your students, has feedback from me, let me know. It's like 1 a.m. or something. I was looking at my emails. This was a couple of months ago. And she said, oh, yeah, I have feedback for you from one of the students. Her name's Carol or something. 
here's here's the feedback. And it's like this essay that I start reading. And I'm like, what is this? And I start reading the essay. And the essay basically said, you know, I, I speak a lot on mental health and I wasn't that confident in the way that I was speaking. But I watched Brendan's video and I knew exactly how to formulate my pitch from just a seven-minute video. And at the end of the presentation, everyone who was there came up to me and said that was an excellent presentation. And I wouldn't That's have cool. done that well without Brendan's video. Thank you. And that was it. And I just went, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So that, yeah. Right on. Have you ever gotten a nasty message? Lots. Yeah. That, everything has a price in life, Robin. You yeah. know this yeah. as well as anyone. And the price of being an influencer, quote unquote, and putting yourself out there is it doesn't matter how good of a person you are. It literally doesn't. People will always hate on you. And I'll give you the perfect example, which is me. Okay. I literally went from a kid in poverty, literally last year, I couldn't even afford like a $15 meal to starting to making a six figure income in a corporate job to making a six figure income and being in poverty. So what I mean by that is every paycheck that I win in at work, I literally reinvest almost the entirety of it into master talk, really? whether it's attending events. I, I'm probably betting 50% of my entire salary right now on master talk. Just to give you an idea. And the other 50% is feeding my family. Cause I'm the only breadwinner of my family. My mom got fired because of this whole situation. My sister is studying and I pay for all of her studies. So I'm the sole breadwinner. I'm 23 and I'm betting 25% on video production. The other 25 on the channel just to make free public speaking videos for the world because I'm worried I'm going to die with the information in my head. So someone like that, like that's as pure as you get, right? Wow. And I get emails from professors who have 30 years of experience in communication who ask me, who the hell am I to make these videos? Really? Isn't that insane? That is. Like I would send them their video, the video so they could share with their students. Hey, you know, I love your feedback. You have a lot of experience in the field. And they would literally start their video, the message and saying, don't ever address me with my first name ever again. I am doctor this first thing. Second thing is your video is garbage. You're terrible. Why are you doing that? Are you insulting me by sending me your video? I've what? been coaching this with like ridiculousness. That is the price you pay. And honestly, it doesn't affect me. I'm just using that as a, yeah, it's, more, no. it's, more, it's honestly really funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, let's be honest. It's hilarious. Yeah. But the point of this entire story is it really doesn't matter what you do. People will always come out to get you. Absolutely. And what's more interesting is the more successful you get, you think that you can silence all the haters, but the truth is you actually get more out of it. The point is your mission, whatever you believe in, needs to outweigh whatever hate you get. And if the mission matters, because I don't give a shit what that communication professor Matt says, what I give a shit about is 15-year-old Julia not having access to communication because speech coaches like me are ridiculously expensive just because of the nature of the market. And she can't afford that. And I couldn't afford me three years ago. So I need to make the videos for future me. That's... I love it. That's super cool, man. That's super cool. Wow, man. I just want to sit and think about that for a while. Cause that's, that's pretty deep. Like your purpose behind it and your why, like, I love it, man. I, that's really cool. That's really cool. 
Uh, so I got a couple last questions for you. Where can people find you? Yeah, it's just like we went from like super. Bo- so what's up? <laughs> <laughs> I love this. So yeah, thanks for having me, Rob. But I'm su- I'm not famous by any means, which means I'm super accessible. Feel free to just send me a direct message on Instagram. I'm at Master Your Talk. Send me a question about anything. Public speaking, life. You want video recommendations? You want help? Reach out. I'm happy to serve. Or you can check out my YouTube channel as well, Master Talk, which is in one word. And I would love your feedback on the videos. Cool. Love it. All right. Are you, are you sitting down for this one? I am. All right. Hold on. So what is your message to the world? My message to the world is for those who are trying to make an impact on the world, keep going because the world still needs to hear your message and realize that the only way they'll hear it is if you master communication. So get your shit together, watch my free videos and speak to millions of people instead of the five people you're coaching right now. That would be my message. That's fucking awesome. Right on. Thank you, Brandon. Wow. Now that was powerful. I hope you guys just got something from that. You know, the way Brandon talks is just so, just so smooth and so well, and you know how he is the main breadwinner in his household right now, and how committed he is. Like, what are you guys committed to? Take a screenshot of this and tag me and him on Instagram. I'm at Robert Lude. He's at Mastery Talks. Details will be in the show notes. Let us know what you guys thought about this episode. And please share this with a loved one, with a friend, a stranger. And I love you. I'll talk to you soon.